Today is November 17, 2019. I'm Sarah, and I'd like to welcome you to Our Big Table. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Archer Lamb, Jonathan Lamb. We are recording this podcast at the Big Table studio in wonderful Wildwood, Missouri. We are sitting around a big table, so we've got plenty of room for our guests and many different topics. In our first few episodes, we talked about apples, so today we are switching topics. We are going to talk with my Uncle Jeff. His last name is spelled K-U-L-E-S-Z-A, and it might be pronounced Kuleza, Kulesha, or maybe Kulz. The first thing we'll ask him is how to pronounce his last name. After we learn how to say his last name, we'll ask him about the business he owns. He owns a bouncy house business. We called our cousins Hazel and Joby to join our big table and play 20 questions with us. Yeah, and then Elizabeth will uh, join us later on to announce this week's winner of the Golden Chair Award. Okay, so before we get into our episode, though, I, I want to talk about our week a little bit. So Archer, I know you did some, um, some pretty cool things the last couple of weeks. And I know you've been working on your Eagle Project, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Archer, what's an Eagle Project? An Eagle Project is the final thing that you have to do in order to become an Eagle Scout for the Boy Scouts of America. My proposal, which was just approved, is going to be building little free libraries for the Assistance League of St. Louis. A little free library is placed outside of a school in which students can come over and pick up a book and bring it home, and it's theirs to keep. So, Archer, how did you choose that project? Well, I went over to the Assistance League while we were cleaning their building, and I asked, do you have any projects that you think would be helpful to your organization? And they said, yes, we need little free libraries. And there I was. Free libraries? So how do they get the books for these libraries? They get donations from a lot of people, and actually, they have, like, a full, like, they have stock rooms that are just full of books. They just need an outlet for them to be able to deliver books to students for them to take. Okay, so do people ever return books to these little libraries? You don't have to, but you can. It can be like a book swap library where you drop off a book or you pick up a book, but it's supposed to be that you're able to just pick up a book and take it home. So if I get too cold, I could go buy a bunch of books and use them to... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not... Okay. All right. So, Archer, I drove you to a church that was like 35 minutes away for you to present um, about your project to some kind of a panel. What was that about? So before you can begin your project, you have to get some signatures from people, and then you have to show a panel that you have these signatures and then they say, okay, you have the signatures, and it looks like you know what you're doing, you know what your plan is all about, hopefully, and then they either accept it or deny it. If they deny it, they'll give you some suggestions for fixing it, and if they accept it, they also give you some suggestions, and then you're kind of on your own, and you just roll with it. Callie Richardson has been helping me um, finalize the details, and luckily we were able to get in, and now me and her are working together to figure out the next steps of building this little free library. Okay, who's Callie Richardson? Callie Richardson is a nice lady in our church, and um, she's like fantastic. She knows what she's been doing. She's been working with the Boy Scouts 
for a very long time and so she knows exactly what we what needs to get done and how it needs to get done and it's just been fantastic yeah it's good to have somebody help archer. especially someone who knows what they're doing archer i heard that you won a tournament or something this week uh yes a magic the gathering tournament magic the gathering is a card game in which um you build a 60 card deck and then you play it against other people the tournament I won is called a booster draft tournament in which people open booster packs and they build a 40 card deck out of the cards they get from it. And so it's kind of luck based, but if you know what you're doing, you probably have a little bit better chances. Um, I was able to win all three of my rounds. The more uh, rounds you win, um, the more prize booster packs you win. And a booster pack is, contains some um, fancy cards. So did you did you actually get a lot of cool cards then? I did. Um, I got two very valuable cards that are both $15, which may not sound like a lot, but considering most cards are under a dollar, it's really amazing. Hmm, cool. So Ava had an orchestra concert this week that I went to and normally I I don't know if you guys know this but I don't really like going to orchestra concerts very much. Why is that? Well, I think most of the orchestra concerts I've been to in my life have been by people who aren't very good at playing instruments. <laughs> so they've always sounded pretty bad. And um you know, like middle school aged people even if they're pretty good still don't sound that good. Um but Ava's in high school now and she the orchestra that she's in in high school, you have to compete to get into it. And she was successful in getting into it. And they actually sounded pretty good. So I was surprised how good it sounded. I kept listening and waiting for them to mess up something, but they, they played it great the entire time. Um, and then she also was in a debate contest. And I don't know that much about it, but she was there like all day on a all day Saturday um, debating something i and I asked if she'd join us to tell us about it, but she immediately said no. Oh, well. Um, so, Sarah, your birthday's coming up in a couple of weeks. You getting excited? Yeah, I invited 12 of my friends to come, and most of them were able to come, except for one of them. Mom is making bags for all of my friends, and I'm making little keychains to go on the zippers. What were on these keychains, Sarah? So, I make jewelry. So I may use little head pins to put beads on them, and then I attach them with some jump rings. So I, I like how you're always doing artistic projects, and I, I think I saw these bags, and it looked like some of them had pretty rocks attached to the zippers. So my friend Vivian's had a rock attached to it with a hole drilled into it. It was a piece of a geode that I got from Joanne's. Yeah, great. So um, how'd school go this week, Sarah? So I had a language arts test this week over some vocab words. And in art, we started a linoleum carving project. Wait, what's, what is a linoleum carving project? So you take a block of linoleum or rubber and you take little like knives and you carve into it to make a stamp. Oh, okay. I got it. And then you, so, so there's like a print. So then you take the linoleum and you get ink on it or paint on it and then squish it onto paper. Yes. Uh, okay. I, I did something like that in high school, but 
but I never did it with linoleum. I did something like that with wood um, and made some prints. Cool. Any of you guys interested to hear what I did at work this week? <laughs> Probably what, not. What did you do at work this week, Dad? Well, actually, like always, I went to work and did awesome science things, but I probably can't talk about them on a podcast without getting approval from a bunch of lawyers. So you're just going to have to believe me that it was fun. It was totally not evil. Mm-hmm. And it was done in pursuit of a better life for everyone. Yeah, the greater good. I've heard this all before. Yep. This is why I science. That little phrase there, why I science, that's uh, Bear, the company I work for. That's their new little advertising phrase. So I thought I'd work it into our family podcast. Maybe I'll contact the corporate um, advertising people and make them pay us for that little little plug there. See how that works. I guess they do pay me. They pay me every two weeks, um, but not for plugging things in a podcast. <laughs> it's called a bonus, Dad. Well, it's called a salary. Okay, let's play 20 questions. Today, for 20 questions, we're joined by my nieces, Hazel and Joby. So, Hazel and Joby, thanks for joining us today. Um, before we start... Hi. Hey, I've got a question for you guys. Uh, can you tell everyone how old you are? I'm Ken. And who's and that? I'm, I'm, I'm Hazel. Hazel. And okay. I'm Ken. Okay, and then Joby, how old are you? I'm seven. Excellent, thanks. Now, where do you guys live? We live in Hilliard, Ohio. Ohio? That's pretty cool. Joby and Hazel, what are your favorite foods? Um, that's a hard question. I like a lot of food. Me too. Do you have any particular food that you absolutely love? Blueberries. Blueberries? I really like blueberries. Hi, ramen noodles. Oh, ramen noodles is also <laughs> super awesome. We got ramen noodles. I thought I don't like ramen noodles very much. Uh, I love them. Joby and Hazel, we're going to play 20 questions. So when we play 20 questions, we only ask questions that have yes or no answers. We'll each take turns asking questions. So Sarah will be the first person to ask a question. And then after Sarah asks her question, it'll go Hazel and then Joby. And then it'll be my turn. Okay, so it'll go Sarah, Hazel, Joby, John. All right, Archer, you ready to start us off? I'm ready. Um, so just a little bit of a hint. This is a person. A person. Hmm. Okay. So it could be any person in the world, real or imagined. Okay. I'll go first. Is this a person that we know? Yes. You know this person. Okay, great. All right, Hazel, it's your turn to ask a question. Is this person a part of our family? He is not a part of your family. Ooh, I just heard Archer say he. Uh-oh. I think maybe it's a maybe it's a man. All right, your turn, Joby. Is this person a famous person? No, he's more infamous, which implies he's famous. That's a great question, Joby. So now we know it's a man. We know this person. He is not part of our family, and he is well-known, but not, not for necessarily things. for a good thing. Archer said that we know this person. I'm going to assume that that means we've heard of them, but that we may not necessarily know them like we've met them. So I'm going to ask, Archer, has anyone um, at our big table today 
or on the line, has anyone met this person before? Like personally. None of you have met this person. Is this person still alive? No, this person is dead. Your oh, turn, that's Hazel. Is he a inventor? He is not an inventor. Joby. Is he a scientist? He is not a scientist. Is this person a politician of some kind? He is not a politician. Um, was this person involved with the deaths of any other people? Yes, he was involved with many, many deaths. I'm guessing Hitler. No, that's not an official guess, but you know. Hazel, it's your turn. Do you think that anyone in our family, our family or your family, would know him, like, a lot of facts about him? Um, probably not specific facts about him. Uh, Joby, it's your turn. Did this person, did he live in the United States? He did not ever live in the United States. Okay, Archer, how many questions have we used up? That's not a yes or no question, but you've used up 11 questions. Was this person a military leader? Yes. I still think that it's Hitler. Well, it's your question, if you'd like to ask that. But Hitler was a politician, so it can't be Hitler. Oh, he was? Yeah. Okay. He was very much a politician. Did this person have a famous saying or a famous, like, haircut? Did he have either of those? No. That involves beards, too, and, like, mustaches. What do you mean, famous haircut or beard? You know how Hitler has, like, the little thing sticking out of his nose? You could have just asked if it's Hitler. Yeah, but she wants to know if this person has some other distinctive hairdo, like a funny mustache. Or I, don't, a... I don't think you would think of a specific hairdo when you think of this person. Okay. You're up to 13 questions, and Hazel, you're up next. Was he in the Navy SEALs? He was never in the Navy SEALs. Joby, your turn. Was he... Ever in any movie? He is in an animated movie. Hmm, so maybe this person's not a real person. What do you no, think, guys? I said he was dead. Alrighty then. Um, was this person a bad person? Yes, he was a very bad person, depending on how you looked at it. In this animated movie that he was in, was... This movie made by Disney? It was. It was a Disney movie. So, Hazel and Joby, you are thinking of a Disney movie villain. This guy is, um... He has to be real, though. And he's real. He is a real person that was a Disney villain. Um, in the Disney movies and stuff, did he have, like, a certain thing that he did bad things with? like bow and arrow or a gun or something so like a weapon there was no specific it wasn't it wasn't a gun no um but did he have a weapon that he did have a weapon although it's it's i think what she's asking about is a signature weapon he did not have a signature weapon is that what you meant hazel yeah so, like, Indiana Jones with his whip, he right, didn't yeah. have one of those. Remember, it has to be an animated movie. Right, or Jafar with his um his serpent staff thing that he... Yes. Okay, so... Joby's turn. Is he, um, 
changes time? It is. All right. Nice job, Joby. Woo. Good job, Joby. So Genghis Khan, also pronounced Genghis Khan, was a uh, Mongolian. He attacked a lot of Chinese cities, which is what he was most famous for in Mulan. He attacked a bunch of Chinese cities. But what he is known for in the world is taking over a huge empire. He had one of the biggest empires in the world at the time that he made it. In fact, I think it was the biggest. Um, Unfortunately, he died and his sons disagreed and split up the empire. Actually, I think Genghis Khan's son, the the one that immediately came after him, actually continued to expand his empire. So I think it was his son, his grandsons that that might have been the case for. Because Kublai Khan, I think Kublai Khan's empire was bigger. Oh, you're right. Okay. So before Genghis Khan died, and this is going off of Wikipedia, he assigned Ogadai Khan as his successor, which I believe is his son. Let me double check that. He is the third son of Genghis Khan. He succeeded his father. He continued the expansion of the empire that his father had begun and was a world figure when the Mongol Empire reached its furthest extent west and southward. But later his grandsons, that's who I was was confused with, split up his empire into Khanates. Yes. You know, when I was in Mongolia, a lot of people in Mongolia believed that they're the direct descendants of Genghis Khan. And the way that they would show that they knew this, that they were, you know, able to prove that they were the descendants of Genghis Khan, they had a blue mark on their butts. So lots of times parents would grab their kids and they would pull their pants down and they would show me their butts and there'd be like a big blue like a big blue birthmark on their butt cheeks and they and they'd say look this is proof that my son or my daughter was is a direct descendant of Genghis Khan what that's pretty weird when did you go to mongolia oh that was a while ago i'm that was when i was 19 years old so that was Gosh, that was uh, 20-ish years ago. What did, were you you? Learn, did you learn to speak Mongolian? Yeah, I, I spoke Mongolian. That's right. I was a missionary there for our church, and I taught English and um, taught about our church. Wow. And, and learned all about uh, little children in Mongolia, how their butts looked. Nice. I got lots of chances to see that. Can you imagine your parents doing that to you, Hazel? No, no. I don't think your mom would ever grab you and bend you over and pull your pants down to show people your butt. I hope not anyway. All right. Thanks, Archer. Thanks, Joby. Thanks, Hazel. Bye, Joby. Bye, Hazel. Bye. Now we're going to talk with my brother-in-law, Jeff, about his bouncy house business. Jeff's done a lot of interesting things in his life, and we'll probably talk to him about some of the other ones later. But today we're just going to ask about the business that he owns and runs. Now, my dad, Glenn Lamb, also joined us on this interview, so you'll hear his voice a couple times as well. So, Jeff, how do you say your last name exactly? That's a great question. So, ever since I was a child, all my teachers always pronounced my last name incorrectly. It's pronounced Kalesha, and it's Polish, and in Polish, it actually means gruel maker. So just like soup, 
Uh, we believe that our ancestors used to make soup and we were cooks. Cool. So what are some different ways that you've heard it pronounced? Kaleza, um, Kalama, even though there's no M inside of it, that was a big thing that I always heard was, hey, Kalama, how you doing? Um, you, usually it's Kaleza, though. Kaleza? Okay, so yeah, great. Nobody ever gets it right in the first try, unless they're actually Polish. That's wonderful. So we've got several different wrong ways to pronounce it. We'll try and use all of them in our introduction. Can we make up new ways as well? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I love hearing new ways to pronounce my last name. How about Kulazia? I haven't heard that one before, but I'd go for it. I respond to pretty much anything as long as it starts with a ka sound. So, yeah, go for it. So what's your business called and what is it? So I own a family entertainment center in Dayton, Ohio. It's called Bounce Extreme. And what a family entertainment center really is, it's a place where families come for recreation, uh, specifically I deal in inflatables. Um, so if you have young children that want to come in, get some energy out uh, and jump around on a bunch of inflatables, I am the place to come. I also have a mechanical bowl on premise. We are located inside of a larger family entertainment center called Scene 75, which also features lar large arcade, go-kart tracks, laser tag, uh, mini golf, restaurants, all those types of things. We're the largest entertainment center in America uh, at 140,000 square feet up until about uh, a month ago when Columbus, Ohio became the largest family entertainment center in America, also a Scene 75 location. You say the largest family entertainment center in America. So is that just your business? That is the entire Scene 75 complex. We are part of that family entertainment center. I lease about 15,000 square feet of the 140,000 square foot facility. Inside that facility, we're really three separate companies. We are Bounce and Extreme, which is what I own. The Go-Kart Track, which is about 20,000 square feet and then an additional 100,000 square feet between the restaurant, laser tag, and arcade, which is owned by Scene 75. That's really impressive. Is that arranged so that if the go-kart people have an accident and they go flying off the track, that they're cushioned somehow by landing in your business? <laughs> that would be great. If I could put together a go-kart track and people could crash and land in inflatables, I promise you that would be the most popular attraction that we have. No, if you crash in the go-kart track, you are going to be cushioned by your seatbelt and not much else. That That's a nice thought. Yeah, I can just imagine the laser tag people um, distracting the drivers of the go-kart so that they smash into the curve and go flying into the bounce house place. That that sounds like my perfect... That's When you were describing it, Jeff, that's exactly how I imagined all of those different attractions working together. That would be perfect family entertainment center. We, we do have people that can distract people on the course, uh, on the go-kart course, as it is open to the public. But yeah, they don't, they don't land in the inflatable area, unfortunately. I think I know my next activity. Anyways, um, what do you like about your bouncing business? So I like the flexibility that it provides me. It's not complicated to run, but there are things that I can do to make it run better. However, for the most part, I can leave it um, being operated by high school students and college students with college students supervising without being the whole time. So I like the flexibility that it provides me. I'm able to be at home in Columbus uh, while running this business down in Dayton. So Jeff, you're saying you're saying you don't have to be there 
to actually run the business? Yeah, I don't, I don't have to be there. We're open uh, 70 hours a week. I'm only there about 20 hours a week. I don't have to be there. And when I'm not there, the business is still operating and making money. So it gives me good life flexibility. When I purchased it, I also had a strong belief that I could increase the value of the asset. In the business world, when you own a home, when you own a business, there's this thing that's the asset. It's the home, it's the business. And with a home, it's really difficult to increase the value of the asset without doing something that's putting more money into it, like upgrading your kitchen. Or like building a big barn in your backyard like I did. Yeah, something like that. It increases the value of your asset. But with a business, you can increase the value of the asset by making it operate more efficiently, by increasing the profit of it. And eventually, when I go to exit the business, when I actually go to sell it, I have a strong belief that I could actually increase the value of the business and sell it for more than what it was, what I purchased it for. The other thing I like about it is I have a fairly symbiotic relationship with the family entertainment center that I'm located inside of. They do a lot of the advertising. I do almost no advertising. And all that I really do is make this portion of their business run more efficiently for them. And they take care of a lot of the operational needs that I have. So I, I actually feel like I do less work than I would need to without that symbiotic relationship. So you have employees. Do you know how, about how many employees you have? At the time of the tornado, I had somewhere between 25 and 30 employees. Most of them were high school students. Uh, I employed a couple of college students and a couple of people that were older in life as well, uh, two or three people that were over 25. So do you personally interview all of these people? I don't. Every time that a new employee is hired, I do not interview them. Um, I have a set of five to six managers when we're operating, and the managers are responsible for interviewing all of the employees and hiring them. Only when we go to promote employees to a manager or a cash register position do I interview them. However, before I interview any of these people, I've already met them and I know them because I know every single employee that I have. So, Jeff, we're going to ask you about the tornado you mentioned in, in a little bit. But before that, I, I'd kind of like to get more of a sense of um, like what it's like for people that come in. Like, What are the types of things that you have in your business and what do people do when they go there? We have a couple different groups of people. A lot of people that come in with younger children under the age of five. And they go to an area called Toddler Town. That's designed for children under 48 inches tall. In that area, we encourage the parents to play with the children. And they get on the inflatables. And the parents are responsible for supervising the children and making sure the children have a good time. In this area, we have several small obstacle courses, a 20-foot-tall slide, and two or three other inflatables. We have another section which is designed for older children. Jeff, let me make a comment on the toddler town area. Um, you know what my idea of a good time isn't? It's going somewhere and having to watch my kids. <laughs> Is there not a way I can just drop them off? Can you send your kids with an adult that isn't like the adult of the kid? Yeah, we, we have no way to verify that the person that brings them in is the parent. You can look at so them. So if you are a babysitter over the age of 18 and you sign a waiver for that child, and you take them in, you are responsible for watching them and making sure that they are safe. The reason that we do it this way, especially for this height, is if you have 15, 22-year-olds, you cannot expect that your employees are, are watching these two-year-olds 
We're not babysitters at this age. We are there to make sure that the child is safe. Two-year-olds, three-year-olds, they have a lot of special needs. We cannot be expected to know what all these special needs are. So until the child reaches the age of four or five, we have the, the parent sign, um, the guardian sign, a waiver saying, I will watch and stay with this child. Have there ever been any accidents? Absolutely, yes. We have had sprained ankles. We have had a whole lot of friction burns. We go through 40 to 50 band-aids a week. I would say the worst thing that I have seen has been a wrist fracture. I didn't personally see it, but I saw pictures after it happened. This is from people going around obstacle courses. Um, I was thinking there might be some different kinds of accidents. Yeah. What type of accidents are you thinking of? Well, you've got these little toddlers. Are, I assume some of them <laughs> might be in diapers. Uh, yes. Could there be accidents relating to diapers? We have absolutely had um, issues with vomit, bowel movements, urine, uh, pretty much all of those things. And it tends to be that people will not tell us when these accidents occur. <laughs> what? And it's just a surprise for later. <laughs> it is. It's a surprise for later. And other parents will inform us, or during our hourly inspections, we will find these things. Then we have to have one of our staff members go through and sanitize the inflatable. Usually we use a, a combination of bleach and water uh, after wiping everything down. Well, Jeff, if I ever am at your place and I vomit, I'll let you know right away. It's my promise to you. I would you. appreciate that much. Especially if I know I don't have to clean it up. Ah, yeah, we will clean it up for you. Come by and vomit as much as you want, and we will sanitize everything you need. I'm just going to save that for, you know, just in case I'm in the area and I'm feeling sick. Uh, I know the place to go. I don't think that's their primary advertisement, though. <laughs> what? Are you sure? If you want to pay nine bucks to vomit there, I'll have one of my kids clean it up for you. All right, Jeff, I got a question for you, another one for you. So when you were growing up, was it your um, dream ever since you were a young kid to own and operate a bounce house place? Who? What child wouldn't want that? I, I didn't. Um, me. Sarah, what do you think? Was that, does that sound like a good thing you, you've always wanted to do when you grew up? Yes. Okay. One out of three of us. Right when I was born, right when I knew what jobs were, I knew that I would want to be a bounce house operator and to just own several bounce houses. So Sarah, now that you've heard about one of the duties of the people, the duty of doing, the taking duty. care of the duty, the duty, duty. Does your, is your dream changed at all? It may sway my opinion a bit, but I will certainly still dream. You'll take of, on the duty? Yes, of course. Okay, so Jeff, so seriously though, is that what you wanted to do when you were growing up? No, that was never the plan. I mean, originally I wanted to do two things. I wanted to be a rodeo clown, and I'm serious. Uh, I wanted to be the guy that distracted bulls in a rodeo, and I wanted to be a smoke jumper which is the guy that jumps out of airplanes without forest fires in, like, Montana. I wanted to do that, and then when I realized that they don't make enough money, I decided to become a computer scientist. I did enjoy that. Uh, I did that for about 15 years or so. It, it's still a thing that I, I do enjoy, and even even though now I am no longer in that career, I still frequently read books and uh, do research on topics related to that. I enjoy that as well. In fact, I, I legitimately miss the, the challenge, the intellectual challenge that came with that career because running bounce houses does not come with any significant intellectual challenges. 
So are you saying that running bounce houses is your full-time job? At the point before the tornado hit, all of my money came from operation of bounce houses. Yeah, how many hours a week were you working at that? I did not work that many hours. I was probably at 15 to 20 hours a week, so it was less than a full-time job for me. However, we were open about 80 hours a week, and I would say that I probably paid employees somewhere in the range of 700 hours a week to operate it for me. Hmm. Wow, okay. I'm kind of curious about this whole tornado thing that you keep bringing up. What happened in this tornado, and which tornado was it? So the day after Memorial Day in 2019, uh, it was about 2 a.m., and fortunately this happened at 2 a.m., we got hit by a Category 4 tornado. On this day, we had about 30 tornadoes hit the city of Dayton. And to give you an idea of what the difference are on category of tornadoes, the highest level of a tornado is a Category 5. And I can tell you the wind speed, that gets to be about 220 miles an hour. But what really categorizes a Category 5 tornado is a home will be lifted off its foundation and moved a considerable distance. So your house will be picked up and moved away. That's the highest level of tornado. We were not hit by those. We were hit by a Category 4, which and is so one level below that. Those houses, they have foundations. However, bounce houses do not have foundations. <laughs> yeah. What exactly happened? So what happened was a tornado went across the top of the building. There is an 84 lumber behind us. That 84 lumber was completely leveled. Uh, the roof of my building was torn off. I would say about 15% of the roof was gone. We had four inches of water, and the large 32-foot-high wall, which separated um, two parts of the building that I'm in, had completely collapsed into my toddler town area. Every single inflatable that I had was underneath rubble and debris from it. Did they get broken? I mean, did, they, did it pop them and, and break them? It didn't pop them because they weren't inflated. So when they're not inflated, it doesn't do any damage to it. Oh, that's good. When you have a flat roof, you have a lot of gravel on top of it. There's also insulation that separates it. So all these things fell on top of the inflatable. So they're underneath, you know, two inches, three inches of rubble and debris. Cleaning out all of these minor things that are inside of it is a very, very uh, intensive task. If I have a single inflatable, for me to get it, up to the point that I would have felt comfortable with the, with the public being back on it would probably cost me 60 to 80 hours in labor. So pretty much every inflatable that was covered in this, I ended up throwing out. So uh, of my 20 inflatables, I threw out 12 or 13 of them, somewhere in that range. So did you have to, I mean, when you say you threw them out, do you mean that you dug them out first and then threw them away? I mean, as you're clearing all the rubble out, you, the people that were clearing it out, you didn't tell them to even try and save it. They just, just clear it out so I can start afresh? Yeah. My insurance company was great. Uh, they came by and looked at everything. And what I have is a replacement value policy. So the cost of actually saving these things and cleaning them would have been more expensive than purchasing brand new ones. So rather than clean them out, we took them, threw them in dumpsters, and my insurance company paid me the replacement value for them. And I've gone through now, and I I have not completed purchases of everything. Um, however, every dollar that I lost for the old ones, when I purchased the new ones, my insurance company will reimburse me for it. Hmm, nice. 
So you'll be able to completely, at least the lost items anyway, you'll be able to purchase new ones. It's actually very exciting what I'm doing. Previously, I had on the floor 13 to 14 inflatables on the floor. I had more in storage. I will be replacing these 13 to 14 that I had on the floor with only two inflatables. One will be 6,000 square feet. One will be 3,000 square feet. The reason that's exciting to me is, number one, I always felt like I had a lot of lost space on the floor because when guests want to come and, and play in the inflatables, if they want to go from one inflatable to the other, they would get off the obstacle course and go to a slide or get off the slide and go to the wrecking ball. Now, instead of them getting off and walking on the floor, what I'm going to have is the entire floor is inflatable. So as they walk between the attractions, we'll have a giant slide, we'll have a dodgeball arena, we will have obstacle courses, we'll have inflatable chairs on the inflatable floor. That sounds awesome. It will be awesome. The entire arena will be inflatable. And this doesn't only benefit the guests, because I promise you that the guests will have a better time. It also benefits me. And the reason it benefits me is the state of Ohio has a rule which says, outside of every single inflatable, you must have one operator. So at my peak operations, I would have one operator standing outside of each inflatable. Because that was the rule. That was the rule. That was the law. And I followed the law. Sometimes I would shut down the inflatables and not allow people on them because I didn't have enough staff. You know, uh, hey, Jeff, I've got to say, if I was running an inflatable business, I certainly wouldn't be cutting corners. <laughs> Come on, someone. Come on. Nothing? Grown. Okay. <laughs> Hilarious. All right. Sorry, I had to try. So with with the new inflatable, rather than have these 13 or 14, which means it might take staffing up 13 or 14 operators out there on the floor, with only two inflatables, I will have at peak seven people instead of 14 because I will have four people stationed on the large one, two people on the small one, and one person working the cash register. So I do not believe that the way that the state of Ohio uh, requires the staffing of inflatables to significantly increase the safety. Of, you, don't think, um, you don't think you needed 14 employees to make sure that the kids were not getting hurt? I understand the reason that that is a law for people that might have one inflatable, but I felt as though it was prohibitive for larger centers. And I feel like the way that I will be staffing this now will actually be safer even with fewer employees. Is that because you'll be able to arrange things so you so that people can actually keep their eyes better on, on what's going on? Yeah, that's exactly right. I don't know where I'm going to be stationing people. The first month it will be open, I'll be there watching and monitoring, trying to figure out where should I station these people when we're at our max capacity and figure out where should they be? Where's the safe place for, for them to sit to make sure um, everybody is not only having a good time, but also being safe? Before we wrap up, and thanks for telling us about your business, we've got a couple of ideas or several ideas we'd like to run by you about possible um, bounce house attractions or, or things that you could put in a bounce house. So Archer and Sarah, um, uh, get your ideas ready to ask Jeff and see if he thinks it's feasible and I'll, I'll start. So, um, you talked about the slides that would be really high. If you had an inflatable, uh, like a ring, like an inner tube, but chock full of those ball pit balls that you could actually have kids jump off of a fairly high, high. I mean, you have to have the balls deep enough, like a diving pool, like a diving pool full of balls. And then of course, a you know, ball pit? A, a ball pit. Yeah. Dive, a diving ball. That's the word, ball pit. You'd have a ball pit that you could jump into from, I don't know, 20 feet in the air or something like that. What do you think? 
I've seen these. Uh, I wouldn't do a ball pit because the thing with ball pits are the balls get absolutely filthy. So I wouldn't do a ball pit. There are attractions out there which have airbags that you jump into. Um, a lot of the ninja courses have these things. I haven't seen them from 20 feet high, but I've seen them from 10 to 15 feet high, and that's absolutely a thing that you can purchase and do. I'm not putting that in, in my place. My insurance company would not like that uh, because the risk associated with injury is going to be higher than the attractions that I'm putting in. I have liability insurance, so I've never been sued. However, people can sue me. If I'm negligent, and I do my best not to be negligent, I do my due diligence, but if I am negligent in putting something in and somebody gets hurt because my employees are not watching them or because I have a dangerous attraction out there, they can sue me and my insurance company will cover it. Um, and my insurance company, because they are responsible for covering it, also tell me, hey, if you put this thing in, we're going to charge you more for your premium. Uh, so I am price sensitive to what my insurance tells me isn't isn't uh, a good idea. Okay. Archer. So have you seen um, the game show Wipeout? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Imagine you have a wall and then there's a um, like there's a raised platform and they're trying to walk across. So like like a cliff side and on the other side of that cliff is an area where people can go and then they can stick things through holes and try and push the people that are trying to go get to the other side. You can push those people off. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, that's actually interesting. So the reason I have liability insurance is to guard against people that are trying to have a good time getting injured. However, if you are presenting an attraction in which you are making it more likely for a person to be injured, such as you're pushing them off a cliff, um, or in my case, I have a mechanical bull, and people go on the mechanical bull to get thrown and potentially to get hurt. With these particular types of attractions, we actually have almost no licensing requirements for it. Oh. If you were putting in an item for which people are signing up to get hurt, the state of Ohio just says, hey, we don't care. They don't really say we don't care, but my bull, my mechanical bull, which is the most dangerous thing which I have, is the only item I have which I am not required to get a license for. Now, do they have to sign a waiver or anything for that? We do. We haven't signed a waiver. Um, we've had people come in, get bloody noses, and complain about it. And the mechanical bowl probably is the thing that my insurance company dislikes the most. So, okay. So, but then Archer's idea was that people would be trying to knock other people off instead of a mechanical bowl. How, how, does, how does that compare? Because we have a person going through an attraction and we are actively trying to injure, push, not injure. We're not actually trying, not to, trying to hurt your customers. <laughs> <laughs> the person is signing up for a more extreme experience, which they are exposed to more danger than they would for other inflatable activities. I do not believe if I had a course like that, that the state of Ohio would require a licensure. They would advise me against doing it, but I, don't, I actually do not know if I would be required to get licensing. I would have to talk to them about it. I absolutely think that sounds like a really, really fun thing to do, but I promise you that the family entertainment center that I am located in, um, they are very much into safety. Uh, they would not want that in their facilities. That's not a thing that I consider at my current location. How about you section off one wall or something like that and you just have little, like, triple-decker beds, except they're not, like, beds-beds. They're, like, bouncy house beds. 
So this is a thing that I've talked to. They're one of the largest um, manufacturers of inflatables is located in Florida. Uh, they're called Galaxy Multigames. I talked to them about a very interesting concept, which nobody has ever done before. Well, is this going to be an exclusive? <laughs> this is exclusive. Nobody has ever made a two-story bounce house. Yeah, that's kind of what I was also thinking. But Sarah was thinking three. Yeah, three. Like, take it a step further. You you took it further than anybody ever has before. Jeff, you got to think big, man. It's not an impossible thing to do. Um, I have a 36-foot high ceiling, and I have had discussions about building a two-story bounce house. Now, what's that actually look like? Can you actually make an inflatable where you have a second floor that doesn't collapse and somebody gets on top of it? Realistically, you probably can't, but you can do it if you build up um, a permanent structure underneath and then custom build the inflatable to have a second story. No one has ever done what you suggested. However, it is a thing that is possible, and I've actually had discussions uh, with, with a manufacturer about doing that. We would be the only people in the world that have something like that if we do it. There's like this thing at Bounce U where it's like this bounce, sort of, bounce U is another bounce place. Um, It's kind of like this cylinder that goes up and down with different layers, except the layers aren't solid. It's kind of like a spider web with elasticy ribbon rope. So oh, yes. Maybe you could do something like that. I believe the attraction you're talking about is called Spider Mountain. Yeah. The layers you're talking about, the stretchy fabric, uh, is more. it's not a bungee cord. It's more of a bungee strap that you climb up. It's almost like a trampoline type of strap. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly okay. what we're thinking of. Yeah, uh, I actually I own one of those. Uh, it's five different platforms, and you climb up between the straps, bounce on them, um, I had that. I actually just cut it down when the tornado hit uh, to make up space on my floor. So you still have it then because it was put in storage? I cut it down and it is in storage. It will be going to an inflatable reseller uh, when I take all my other inflatables for sale. How much would that go for? How much is Spider Mountain? Gosh, you know, I would say it's about $15,000. Ah, dang it. Wow. That's... It's a little too much. I was thinking of. How awesome it would be to have Spider Mountain down in our barn. That would be my guess. I I have not purchased it. What do you think a three layer Spider Mountain would cost? Is it is it about three four thousand a layer? The only thing I I can really comment on for how much things cost are purely inflatables. So when I acquired the business, I also acquired Spider Mountain. I believe in my in my accounting software when I purchased it. I had the retail value at like twelve or fifteen thousand, somewhere around there. And that would, that, that would sure be the new, stuff. like purchasing a new one would be twelve or fifteen thousand. Yeah. Okay. yeah, purchasing a new. Honestly, if you went to China for something like that, you could probably get it for five grand. Uh, I, I I purchased items um, on Alibaba overseas and done uh, importing, and it's significantly cheaper than what you get in the U.S. But I will say that the quality for commercial use um, is much worse than what I've seen from from the U.S. manufacturers. So, okay, so not necessarily Spider Mountain, but more maybe, I don't know, like Spider Hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. just general commentary. If you're looking at for, for residential use or just for a couple of kids, you can buy stuff in China. That... Oh, yeah, that's a good point, because if it's not being used constantly all day long, then, it, then the durability of yeah. it would be different. We'll have to look into that, Sarah. I think it'd be awesome to have a Spider Mountain. 
All right. And Glenn, did you have an idea? Yeah, you've got blowers that keep the inflatables inflated. Could you have a shaft with air being blown upwards and a person could get at the top of an inflatable and enter that shaft and be held aloft by the blowing air upward? Or maybe just slow, ah, and slow down. And kind of have a free, free fall yeah. of some sort or weightlessness? Yeah, so the answer to that is yes. Yeah. So I have one and a half and two horsepower blowers. What that'll do is it provides enough air that if you have 800 pounds of people on an inflatable, the air that's released when they jump will be filled back into the inflatable. So what you're talking about is indoor skydiving. Yeah. Uh, indoor skydiving is not done by blowers. It's done by large industrial fans. Mm-hmm. I don't know how large those fans are, but I was down in Orlando last week, and I actually talked to an indoor skydiving facility just out of curiosity to figure out how much does it take to install indoor skydiving. I don't know if you've seen these. If you go to Las Vegas, if you go to Orlando, you're going to see these things. Maybe instead of all the way indoor skydiving, if you had um, like a tunnel that people were crawling up through, like they went in a hole in the bottom and crawled up this tunnel, then maybe the um, strength of the fan wouldn't have to be enough to actually lift them up, but just kind of push a little bit to make it easier to climb and then not make the height so high that you'd get hurt if you fell down. I don't think it would push them up high enough. I've been inside inflatables, and when you're there, your ears will pop. I don't know if you've been inside um, any of the large inflatable buildings. I remember going to the Hubert Humphrey Metrodome in uh, Minneapolis for a Twins game, and it's pressurized, and the roof is made of this fabric. So when you go through the revolving doors to enter the Metrodome, as you enter it, you can tell that there's more pressure, and when you exit your ears actually pop because you're going into decreased pressure when you're outside. That's about what I feel when I'm inside of an inflatable. It's enough that it will make your ears pop, but the strength of the air is not enough that it will blow, you know, a 150-pound adult, which I am, um, up. The, the amount of force that's required for that is uh, not reasonable for, for the strength of the blowers that we have. Yeah, so you'd have to get some different blowers, but have a different blower that's not keeping the inflatable inflated, but instead just being piped through a really small tunnel. Um, that might be enough to... It would have to be a giant blower. Okay. Uh, people weigh a lot. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you would need something giant to do that. I think we've got through all our questions. Jeff, thanks again. And if you've got any photos like a, a couple photos of the tornado, if you think that'd be okay to share some of those with us. Yeah, I have some good pictures. We've got a website that we're creating too, so we could put those up on the website. Yeah, not a problem. I'll, I'll send you over some stills. Okay. All right. Hey, thanks a lot. And thanks again for talking with us about Bouncy House business. Thank you for letting us interview you. Yeah, no problem. Good talking to you guys. Good to see you, Jeff. Now, it's time for the Golden Chair Award. This award is given each week by my mom, Elizabeth Lamb, to a person that was really helpful, truly caring, or made her happy. The winner gets to sit with us in the golden chair at our big table for that week, or at least until the next award is given. Even if you don't win the golden chair, there are plenty of seats with us at our big table, and you're always welcome to join us. All right, this week, our candidates... First is Dr. Cherry, our orthodontist, for doing a marvelous job with Sarah's teeth. Hopefully she'll be finished with braces soon. All right, Sarah, look over here and give us a big smile. 
Don't they look awesome? All of the people listening to our podcast can clearly see. Let me describe them. They're straight. Awesome. Next is ProTech, which they come out and service our house quarterly to um, keep the brown recluse spiders at bay. And they always do a great job of that. We also have our orchestra, high school orchestra instructor, Mrs. White, who put together a fantastic orchestra concert that we yeah, attended. I actually attended that with Elizabeth this week, and I am not a very big fan of orchestra concerts, especially high school and middle school orchestra concerts, but it was quite good. The group that Ava was part of was was really good. And then I know that the kids are going to possibly dispute this. So our almost person to get the Golden Chair Award would be our school superintendent, Dr. Mark Miles, who granted us the first snow day of the year. Woo! I would dispute that. Which, <laughs> Why would you dispute it? I missed so much on that day. We like we pushed everything back. It was really inconvenient. Do you think it was warranted? Like, was, were the roads that bad? I think that we weren't prepared for it. Ah. But if we were prepared for it, we wouldn't have had it. Okay. I'm very glad that we didn't have school that day. I just woke up and I was not feeling it. What days are you feeling it, Sarah? Never. So when you looked outside, you just knew right away it was going to be a snow day? Yes. Although the frustrating thing is I woke up and nobody told me it was a snow day. So I started getting ready for school. Is that, is that better or worse? Like if you wake up and you immediately know it's a school day and you sleep versus you get ready and you mentally get prepared and then it's surprise, I don't have to go. Which would you prefer? Probably the second one, but like, yeah, it was still frustrating. So our golden chair award this week in honor of Veterans Day goes out to John's grandfather, Glenn Lamb. And my grandfather, Grant Mon, unfortunately, both of them have passed away, but they both served during World War II. I know that my grandfather left his wife and child behind to go do that. So thank you so much, not to mention all the other veterans who have served our country. Please have a seat in our golden chair at our big table. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thanks, ma'am. And thank you, everyone who's listening to our podcast. We hope you're enjoying your seat here at our big table. And if you've got any suggestions for how we can do the show better or segments that you would like to hear, please let us know. You can contact me at john at ourbigtable.net, archer at ourbigtable.net, or sarah at ourbigtable.net, S-A-R-A at ourbigtable.net. Thanks. Hi, this is Sarah's weekly joke. These two cows are grazing in a field. One kind of turns over to the other. It's like, so what do you think about this mad cow disease? And the other one's just like, why should I care? I'm a helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then a third cow goes, what? Talking cows? (laughs) Sarah didn't think that was funny. No, I I said, ha ha. Hmm. Nice. Okay, thanks, everyone. No problem. And everyone's welcome at our big table, and we love you all. That includes you. Okay, bye.
bouncy house business, bouncy, 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 bouncy house business.